0: The following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. So, we've been in this series, and we've been talking about life together, and the big question we're asking is we're saying if we are people of the resurrection, If we look and we say we trust what Jesus says, and we know that there is resurrection and new life, then how do we live together as a church, as people of the resurrection? How does that work itself out? So we talked about originally just being in the hands of Jesus, how that brings us to that question, because it is where he is, that it is his work that does this, that brings us together. Um, So that allows us to ask the question, as people of the resurrection, how do we live this out? We talked last week about identity to say, this is about an identity gifted to us, not about us earning some kind of thing. It's how God says, no, this is yours. In your baptism, this is who I say you are. We talked about and ended with, uh, I shared with how I cross myself sometimes during prayers or at the end of communion but adding, saying, these are the declarations God makes. That he says, first, you are created by me. I have chosen you to love me and love neighbors. And so that's, as we cross ourselves, if you get into that or you just want to think about it, we have these declarations that God makes over us that are his identity upon us, not us trying to grow into a place of his identity. Today I want to talk about life together and how we share that story. Because if we say that God has chosen us, that he has created us uniquely, and he's given us a purpose, well, one of the things he's called us to do within that purpose is share who he is. Um, A lot of times you would hear this referred to as outreach, as evangelism, as those kind of things. And immediately everyone's like, great, let's make this the shortest sermon around. Let's all get sick to our stomach and, you know, run away. But what I want to share this morning is to say, I believe that God actually has already put you in places where you can encourage disconnected people with who He is. Disconnected might be Christian folks who are far from the Lord, who have left church who, you know, have are in between churches who are struggling. Um, They might be people who don't know Jesus at all. Um, They might be somewhere, anywhere in between. But a lot of times in the past, what we've done when we've talked about sharing our story of who Jesus is, we then give you an idea of the person you must share it with. What I would like to encourage you to do is instead pray and say, Lord, you've put people in my life. Who are disconnected. Millie knows. Who are disconnected, who need to hear about you. And you know what? Sometimes that's us. This is like a circular thing, that at times there will be us being the people who need to hear the story. But it is a fearful thing to step out and say, how do we share that? So I want to start off with something that's easy in terms of how do we share things? What are the things we share? I want you to think about the last time you sat down with someone or you were on the phone and you raved about something, a movie, a book, a TV show, an article you read, a restaurant, a play, some music, whatever it is, because I'm gonna tell you the story of the best breakfast taco in Austin. Now, you may think you know the best breakfast taco in Austin, there's potential, you actually do, but there's also potential you're wrong. So when I was in college, um, we, it was surreal going to the hospital for Chelsea's procedure this week because it was St. David's on 32nd, which was literally across the street from the dorms I lived in for three years when Concordia, Texas used to be downtown. And so it was surreal, all these memories that came back. I texted one of my close friends who's, who was a roommate of mine. Um, I was keeping him up to date and I just texted him and said, hey man, you know, here's what's going on. And then I said, and it's so surreal to be here and have all these memories. And he's like, oh, like that time I tore my ACL and had to walk across the street to the emergency room, or that time I knocked out my tooth and had to go to the emergency room. I was like, yeah, I'd completely forgotten about those things. <laughs> um, but it was all these memories coming back. Well, one of those that I was thinking about was when we, when I was in college, I had a good friend, Ryland. And Rylan was part of a small group Bible study through a church in South Austin. And he calls me up one Saturday morning and goes, hey, my Bible study leader is taking me to this restaurant he really wants to show us. And you want to come with? And I was like, yeah, I'm down. Little did I know that was going to change my life forever. Because down Cesar Chavez in East Austin is a little restaurant called Juan in a Million. It starts with a J. It's the guy's name, Juan in a Million. I went in, met this Bible study leader of my buddies, met his friends in the group, and the Bible study leader goes, hey man, I know I just met you, but I want to ask you to trust me. I'm going to order for you. And I said, that's a big trust, but you brought us here, so I'll trust you. And he orders me the Don Juan Especial which is an entire potato, bacon, and cheese that is made on a griddle that has been seasoned with love over the past, like, you know, 35 years. And at that point, you ordered Don Juan, and it gave you one tortilla and a mound of breakfast taco. And you always ordered three extra tortillas. And When I was in college, that was $4 and a penny for that. And I went and my life changed because I became an evangelist for one in a million to the point that there are people in this room who know about one in a million because I, the next time I could said, you got to go with me. William, my cousin who's running sides for us today, William came to Concordia the next year. Within a couple of weeks of being there, I said, hey, I'm going to take you to a place. There are rules about one in a million. First of all, if it's your first time, you don't pay. It's one in a million. It is my gift to you. You will give it to others. Number two, don't make the rookie mistake, which is dipping your chips in the salsa before the waters reach the table. Because they have homemade salsa that is amazing, and your mouth will be on fire by the time the water reaches. you got to wait for the drinks to be there before you start eating the chips and salsa. Um, Highly recommend not getting it in your eyes because that's happened to me as well. That was Chelsea's fault. I'll let her tell that story. But one in a million became a place. We were there every other weekend because it was a meal and a half for $4 and a penny. You could skip the dining hall and not feel bad about it, and it was delicious food to this day. My favorite breakfast taco. We rarely get to get down there now because it's just so far. But when Concordia moved campuses between my um, junior and senior year, it moved out to the west side of Austin. So it took us a month or two to get down once school had started to to make the 30-minute drive over to one in a million. Well, one of the great things about one in a million is one, The man himself, he has one, I'm pretty sure um, it was like the Austin Post at that time, had invented a category for their best of, and it was Best Restauranter Handshake. Because Juan winds up and he brings it in where you get a solid connection, but you don't hurt, and you just feel like he shakes your hand and you just feel better about life. And it's so good. And I remember walking in. That first time after we had been gone for summer break, we came back and then there had been a couple months before we were able to make it down. And it was a Saturday morning and we walk in and Juan looks up from the register, looks at me and goes, man, where the hell you been? And I was just like, I'm home. And to this day, if I'm going to that side of Austin, I'm gonna stop at one in a million and I'm gonna have to buy Chelsea take out if she's not with me. I'll usually text Matt and go, hey, you want one in a million? It is the best breakfast taco around. Well, he gets the text, and that usually means I'm buying it for you too. Okay, see see what I mean? (laughs) It's so easy for me. I could tell that story to anyone doesn't matter. You ask me about breakfast tacos, I'll tell you. Millie understands. It's easy for us to share the things we love. So then why is it so hard for us to share the story of who Jesus is? Now, there are obviously a lot of factors. You sharing your favorite breakfast taco with someone there may be someone who argues the best breakfast taco with you, but no one's going well, highly unlikely that someone's going to be like, you know what, I don't want to be your friend anymore because of you sharing a story about a breakfast taco. They may think you're weird, but they're not going to break a friendship over it. They're not going to separate family over it. They're not going to, when we share about Jesus and who he is, there can be those fears of, if I share this, how is this going to impact my relationship. Now, I think part of that is we as Americans have bought into, across the board, the assembly line idea, right? Henry Ford rolls in, builds assembly lines, and everyone goes, look at how fast we can make things. And the point of an assembly line is that it is the same repetition over and over and over so things can go together and you can take that and reproduce it wherever you go because it is the same thing over and over and over. And it's very technical and it's very specific. And if you put, you know, it's this thing fits here and you screw this thing in there and you do all those and it goes together and boom, you have a car. Like, I mean, we still have it to this day if you've driven past the Gigafactory there on 130. That's, a giant robotic assembly line building Teslas. And so we can build that into our mindset to say, okay, as a Christian, when I'm talking to someone who's disconnected, what's the assembly line approach? And there actually was an idea that there was this thing, it was called Kennedy Explosion Evangelism. There's this pastor in Florida who built out an evangelism system and it started with, I kid you not, You would knock on a random person's door, introduce yourself, and the first phrase out of your mouth was, if you died tonight, do you know where you would be going? Listen, what that signals to me is like, it's nice to meet you, door, right? Like, even as a Christian, I'm going going to heaven. Well, how do you know? Jesus said, see you later. (laughs) Go find one of the solar salesmen in the neighborhood. And there was a time where that worked for a little while. But what it did was it made people check marks. They were part of the assembly line. So we have to go out and do the assembly line. And when we do the assembly line, we can check it off and say, okay, I did my part of the assembly line. Now, both culture and I think people have gotten to a point where that works. God can work in anything. So that can always work. But I grew up thinking that that was how you had to do evangelism and feeling a guilt of saying, I'm the pastor's kid, I'm in youth group, I you know, went to college and became a leader in uh, ministry at Concordia um, for student ministry there, and then I went to seminary, and now I'm here. And okay, how does that work? And we can get so lost in the fear that we don't realize God has actually set us up and put us in places around people to connect. So I want to look real quickly at the Bible verses we have today to help us understand how that works. Peter writes this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There's a line here in this one verse that sets up an understanding of how we tell the story of Jesus. Because here Peter says, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. So if we're honoring Christ the Lord in our hearts, so that's that identity piece we talked about last week. So if that's happening and we're living that out in our lives, it will come to a point where people are going to ask us, Always being prepared to make a defense when anyone asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. That we are living in such hope that people would ask. But I love the idea of a defense of hope. A lot of times we think sharing our story is about a defense of God. And there might be aspects of that. There might be aspects of how do we talk about apologetics, how we talk about the understanding of God and all of those things, but I want us to sit back on hope. That at the end of the day, a defense of hope says, this is who Jesus is to me. We can argue about six-day creation, we can talk about um, political ideals, we can talk about how faith is lived out, the way Christians have been successful or unsuccessful in the world around them. But at the end of the day, what happens is I have a hope that's in me. But to do it with gentleness and respect. It's amazing how many verses in Scripture encourage Christians to be gentle. And that can be frustrating <laughs> It's a fruit of the Spirit. And what's really annoying about, if you go and look at that section of Scripture, a lot of times we read them as the fruits of the Spirit. And so we go, well, I'm okay at this, but I'm not so great at that. No, it is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the other ones. I'd have to sing a song to remember them all. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. But gentleness shows up all over the place. So to say, in my defense of hope, can I do it in a kind and gentle way to respect others? And what does that look like in a very real way? Well, let's look at how that happens. First, in Luke 10, 2, which is the verse we start almost every Sunday with. And he, Jesus, said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest fields the first thing you do is pray. One of my favorite quotes that my dad says, you know, is the first pastor I ever had, is he goes, when you're praying, you ain't doing nothing. Which is just annoying because you're working on the double negatives. Going, What does that mean? But it goes, yeah, prayer is powerful. Prayer is meaningful. So the first thing we do is we go, Lord, there are fields out there that you've prepared and you've called me to work them. And what I love about that prayer is it resets our our mindset to go, a lot of times we try and force the harvest instead of saying, no, the Lord has sent me out. So we start in prayer. And then I love where Luke 10 goes because Luke 10 too is Jesus priming the pump to send out 72 disciples into the countryside, right? Just, all right, go out and do it. Now, the first piece of that is he sends them two by two. Never be alone. That's why we do life together is to say, listen, this is not alone. There's a reason that when we planted narrative, I came and I I raised funds to say, there needs to be at least two of us. So at first it was John Zock who walked with me and now it's Matt to say, I have a partner in ministry who does this with me. And it's actually been my joy to sit in the coffee shop with Matt at times where he worked and to be his too where people who have known him for years just walk up and start talking to him and they come from all walks of life. And they know Millie and they know him Because as a barista, he was just kind to them. I'm still trying to figure out how he'll be kind to me, but... (laughs) That's it. (laughs) But part of it is to say this next verse, Luke 10, 5 through 6. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be with this house, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. So think of that hymn, that's a mankind, right? So that is if a son or daughter of peace is there. Because you can think about these 72 go out, and if someone rejects them, they go, all right, not a problem. Can I tell you, when I was in high school and college, and this verse started kind of taking hold, um, as my dad was really teaching it a lot at that point, It gave me a freedom from guilt that I had felt for years because I had felt a guilt of, I have to share my faith. I must share my faith. I'm going to, you know, we have to be Billy Graham. And instead, the way Jesus says it is, if a person of peace is there, stay. If not, just keep moving. I'm, I'm the Lord of the harvest. If the worker shows up to a harvest field and it's not ready to harvest, they just tell the Lord of the harvest, hey, this place isn't ready. I'm going to the next field to you know, to get today's work done. We as Christians have to look and say, Jesus is preparing this. We just show up. So if it's a person of peace, we stay. And if not, it's not like, now listen, it does say like wipe off your feet and it'll be worse for them than it was for Sodom. Like there's a whole thing there and we could dive into that. But like, it's really like, it's just going, this isn't your worry. It doesn't mean that they won't connect. It doesn't mean that what you've, said to them, won't someday down the road mean they're a person of peace for someone else? But this idea of person of peace is key. And so what is a person of peace? It's someone who's willing to hear your story. It's someone who listens, who engages, who wants to talk with you. Because then you don't see that person as, The assembly line. Instead of the assembly line, you're a bespoke carpenter. You get to listen to them. You get to tailor the story of who Jesus is to what they need. That instead of mass-producing evangelism, we get to look and say, I get to bring the story of Jesus to whoever God has put in front of me. That our joy is that God has already prepared these places and we get to join Him in them. So we pray, we go together, and we look for a person of peace. And we tell our story both to the disconnected folks and to those who are in the faith. To disconnected folks, it is a defense of hope. We get to tell them, this is why I have hope. That defense of hope isn't like a court case. It's like saying, no, this is why I have it, and you could be a part of it. And then when we share our story with our fellow believers in connection, that's how we fight spiritual warfare. If you look at Revelation, John will write and say, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So anytime you're with another Christian person, sharing what God is doing in your life, that is you fighting spiritual warfare. Sometimes we think about spiritual warfare as like the movies, like go get the holy water, you know, go get the crucifix, you know, the power of Christ compels you. Like, no. You want to know the greatest weapon against the enemy is to say, this is what God is doing in my life right now. Because that encourages the saints. The saints there's something at Narrative that we've wanted to do for years, and it's only one person's fault it hasn't happened, me, which is we want to hear the stories of where we are all experiencing God together. So we're going to ramp into that, and what we want to do is say two to four minutes of a cell phone video. I don't care if it's landscape or you're holding it selfie style. But if you can share a way that God is at work in your life and send it to me, I'm going to edit it and put it on the screen. But the reason is because that is a blessing to the community. That is a blessing to all of us together. That is how we fight. Because telling our story is twofold. The first, it encourages those who are far from God. That Paul writes and says, faith comes by hearing. So we encourage faith when we share our story with those who are disconnected. But for those who are in the body, it encourages and fights that warfare together. So it could be something as simple as this. I rotated through a few stories, but really mine comes from this morning. Matt does a great job at selecting music for us, but today during communion, we sang Abide With Me. My grandma, Daring, would sing that song to me when I was a kid. And it seems almost dark. Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. There was about 15 minutes sitting in a pre-op room by myself when I had been told this operation will only take thirty minutes, and we were an hour and twenty in. That I heard nothing, and there was a peace that passed understanding. And Chelsea's doing fine, and the operation wasn't crazy. This, you know, this was a simple kind of thing, and there were some complications. But I had to sit back and go. This is the first time I'm experiencing this in our relationship. When I sat here this morning, abide with me, fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help for the helpless, abide with me. It's been one of my favorite songs my whole life because of my grandma. And this morning, I can sit back and say to you that in a very sterile, very unfriendly pre-op room in St. David's on 32nd. My moment of 10 minutes of darkness. Those words were so true and I couldn't put a finger on it until we sang this morning that for the years I've prayed, abide with me. God showed up and said, I am. And that's how he's working on me right now is to say, if I can make that my reaction to realize God is abiding with me, then how does that change the rest of my life? So that would be my encouragement to you. And don't think the people on the retreat get out of this. Like they're going to, I'm going to ask them to record a short video too. My hope is that this becomes part of our rhythm together as a body of Christ. My hope is that if that feels outside your comfort zone, take some time. I understand. I love being in front of people. I come alive there. But I know some people don't. But here's what I'd encourage you with. It's not about anything else than saying, your story encourages others. And it's this simple. What happened How is God using it in your life? And how do you see Jesus as your Savior in the midst of it? Those three things. So that's your homework for this week, for the next couple months, forever. Because it helps us learn to tell our story. So if you encounter something, pull out your phone, shoot a quick video. Don't care about the background, don't care about how cinematic it is, don't care about any of that. I'll handle the editing and make you look good. Matt, that'll be tricky, but that's payback for baristas. But God is at work and he's doing many things. Let's pray. Lord, help us to tell our story. For those who are in the body, for those who are disconnected. Let us as your resurrection people realize this good news on our lives. That if we are living as your people, we get to tell the story of who you are and what you are at doing in our lives, what you work at work at doing in our lives. Lord, we pray that you teach us how to have a defense for the hope that's in us with gentleness and respect we pray that you would reveal to us the people of peace in our lives. Those people who are open to hearing our story, not because of anything we've done, but because you go ahead of us and prepare hearts. Lord, we pray that our story, which is not about us, but is instead about the good news of what you are doing in our lives, would go out with power. Because in our words, we pray that there would be the words of Jesus that wrapped in everything we do, there would be Scripture, the declaration of a Savior come for everyday people. Lord, we rejoice and ask that you would teach us to help us share our stories as we live life together. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen.